0: If I were to ask you uh, how you would sum up the Christian life, uh, for those of you that are walking the Christian life, in one word, what word would you use? That's not a rhetorical question. Actually you know one thing I miss here uh, which, which, which uh, in Totterdown we had one or two people with learning difficulties, and they always answered your rhetorical questions. So I would certainly have got an answer from Stephen by now. How would you sum up your Christian life in one word? Pardon? Jesus. Oh, very good. Yes. Full marks for that one. Yes. Um, yep. Yep, go on, go on. More understanding of life. Okay. Yeah. yeah oh, very good. Very good. Challenging. A challenging. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's. Sorry. Awesome. awesome. There we go. An awesome. Yeah. Faith. Faith. A, marathon. A marathon. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Commitment. Yeah. A journey. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Oh, Friend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all of those words are, you know, very good words that we could use to describe the the Christian life. Um, Well, perhaps if you could put the put the uh, PowerPoint up for me, please. Um, uh, Paul actually uses uh, several. He used two very contrasting words in this passage. He describes the Christian life as a struggle, and that's Paul. Uh, Okay, so you know, this is this this great apostle. Uh, upon whom much of our faith and our understanding of the faith is based, he describes the Christian life as a struggle. But actually, he also talks about rejoicing. Now those two things don't seem to go together in our common, normal, human understanding, do they? Uh, Normally, if things are going well, uh, then that's great. If if, If they're going badly and it's a struggle, then that's pretty miserable. Let's go and moan about it. But Paul actually sees life, his Christian life, as a struggle, and yet he knows uh, that he can rejoice. And a very good illustration of this, of course, Paul's particular illustration of a struggle is he writes this letter from prison. Uh, He's been on a long journey, Uh, he's been uh, all the way from uh, Jerusalem to Damascus, and he's been all the way through all the churches that he's planted, he's been beaten up in Ephesus, he's been shipwrecked, he's been uh, without food, he's been uh, whipped in public, Uh, you know, he's had all of that stuff, and now he's in prison, and he's not quite sure when he's going to come out. And yet, these letters from prison, which include Colossians and Philippians, Philippians is described uh, as the letter of joy. And the word rejoice and joy appear so many times in that letter, as they do uh, a number of times in Colossians. So Paul is rejoicing, and yet he's struggling. Does that sum up your life? Well, maybe it could be struggling and moaning. But for Paul, uh, he doesn't moan. Uh, um, He he struggles, but he actually rejoices. Life can be tough, can't it? We've been giving examples. People have struggles of health. Finance, struggles in relationships, uh, struggles uh, with sin and habitual issues which uh, keep us kind of uh, locked up. Uh, And Paul, as a Christian leader, had all those things to deal with. Um, He had health problems. He never knew quite where his money was going to come from. Uh, He was supported, but he, he had struggles with relationships with different people that he met on the way. Some were good and some let him down and some downright opposed him. Um, And he struggled with his own personal life as well, as we know. But apart from that, as a Christian leader, he also had um, external opposition. He was opposed by not only people who didn't believe at all, but the Jewish people, of which he was one, uh, who didn't like the message he was preaching. So he had external opposition and persecution Uh, But he also struggled with internal weakness. He he talks quite frequently about his weakness, about his struggles, about his discipline, about his self-doubt sometimes, and sometimes about his pride. You know, he had all of those things that all of us struggle with, and yet he rejoices. Um, He uses the word joy. He's encouraged. And particularly, um, this is... uh, this, this slide was uh, from a, a, a sermon I gave a few weeks ago, um, where Paul is, is rejoicing because uh, the gospel is bearing fruit and, and growing. That's, that's, as far as Paul is concerned, all of his struggles don't matter that much, as long as the gospel is spreading and bearing fruit, and uh, he sees spiritual growth, uh, and he wants to see all the Christians in, that he meets not only become Christians, but he wants them to grow uh, in fullness in Christ. He wants them to mature and grow. And if you remember uh, that little that tree that looks like a massive tree is actually a bonsai tree. And and I did use the expression he didn't want people to be bonsai Christians, that is to say, people whose roots have been clipped and clipped so they haven't really grown into the full maturity that actually God wants us to be. And so he prays for all of those things, spiritual wisdom and understanding, which is what Pete was referring to, pleasing God, um, bearing fruit, endurance and patience. All those things are, are part of Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And then uh, the passage that uh, Paul Pace looked at a couple of weeks ago, uh, he focuses this right on, Mike was spot on there, Jesus. He, he focuses uh, exactly on Jesus Christ A whole fantastic passage that tells us all about who Jesus is and what he's done. So just remind yourself of all those things that Jesus is. The image of God, the firstborn over creation. He existed before all things. He's the creator of all things. He sustains all things. He's the head of the church, the firstborn from the the dead. And he is fully God. Wow. Um, What has he done? He's rescued us. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He reconciles all things to himself, makes peace with God through his blood shed on the cross. So all of that is why Paul is rejoicing. That's, that's the, the, the cause of his rejoicing, not his struggles. And that's what Paul enables Paul, actually, to be able to uh, rejoice uh, in his struggles. So first of all, let's have a think about uh, Paul's struggles today. Um, he, he manages to rejoice in his struggles. Now, what does he mean by that? If you've got your Bibles open at uh, Colossians chapter 1, that would be helpful. Now, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, he says. Read that carefully. I rejoice in what was suffered for you. So, whose sufferings is he actually rejoicing in? Jesus's. He knows that Jesus suffered all that Dreadful treatment at the hands of wicked human beings. And why did he do it? He did it because he loved us. And Paul didn't realize that at the time until his mind, uh, he had that conversion experience and suddenly he realized that Jesus had done it all for him. Um, and uh, and there, from that moment on, he turned his life around and followed Jesus. Uh, and that was a, a fantastic uh, conversion. Um, and that's why he's rejoicing what Christ has suffered for us. But then he goes on to say, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's sufferings. In other words, uh, he is suffering himself. As a follower of Jesus, he is also sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, um, which is something he calls us to do. And Jesus also says, you should take up your cross and follow me. So, uh, you know, following Jesus is not a picnic. It's a journey, and sometimes that journey is a hard struggle. Now, just how we interpret this is a little bit, you need to be a bit careful here, because you could read it to say that uh, actually Jesus' sufferings weren't enough, and that Paul is kind of adding to, to Christ's sufferings. He's not saying that, because what Jesus achieved on the cross was a complete and utterly complete suffering, which was enough, such love, it was enough to pay for all the price for your sin and mine and all the people in the world. Jesus did not have to suffer anymore. He was, his work was totally complete. Um, he was all sufficient. His earthly work was done. By the time he, he said that word, it is finished on the cross, he had completed all that he came to do. So what's Paul meaning then? He's talking about the body of Christ. Because Jesus calls us, the people that follow him, his body. And the body of Christ, the church in other words, uh, have suffered pretty well ever since the resurrection and and since Stephen stood up and gave that speech. uh, Have continued to suffer for the name of Christ and uh, will continue to suffer until Christ comes again. And so, uh, it, but if, if if we are His body, if part of your body is hurting, it affects everything, doesn't it? You know, if you if you've got a backache, you will know it affects everything. If you've got a headache, it affects everything. Even if you've just done something to your finger, uh, then it, 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 the pain goes in and you feel it, don't you? So, as far as that is concerned, Christ is still, if you like, suffering with His church, and the sufferings of the church. Uh, particularly in Paul's own experience, continue. And he says, I continue to fill up in my flesh what is still lacking. In other words, the church needs to suffer more before Jesus finally comes again and all suffering is ended. And Paul is very much uh, in that. Is that okay? Um, In actual fact, we know that this because um, when Paul had that conversion experience in Acts 9, we hear this, the, the voice says, "Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?" That must have been a complete revelation moment for Paul. He thought he was suff- he thought he was persecuting some heretic people, but actually he was persecuting the body of Jesus. And so Jesus says, "Why were you persecuting me?" And that turned his mind completely, and he realised. So Paul knows that he is suffering now, not uh, to fill up what Christ has not suffered, but actually for Christ's sake and for the church at Colossae. And remember, he's never met these people. So he says, I'm suffering for you, people that you've never met. There are people all over the world who are part of your body, the body of Christ. And you've never met them, uh, and I've never met them, and yet they're all part of this body. That's exciting, isn't it? And that's why Paul is rejoicing that that is spreading all over the world. Okay, so the question here is, what keeps Paul going? If you're suffering and struggling, uh, are you tempted to want to give up? Hmm? Well, let's be honest, sometimes, yeah. Um, Someone, uh, at a conference I was on this week, uh, one of the ministers Uh, said that he talked to one minister, uh, a very well-known minister, and said, uh, do you often uh, often want to give up? And he said, yes, about once a fortnight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're tempted, aren't we, to want to give up sometimes? But actually, Paul keeps going. What keeps him going? Well, the thing that keeps him going is he's been commissioned. You know, if you've been commissioned into the armed forces... Uh, you, You have a job to do, you have an authority structure, a purpose, and you do it because you've been commissioned to do that work. You've been called to it. And what is Paul's commission? Paul's commission is to present the word of God in all its fullness. To teach, in other words, to present the word of God, this word of God that is Jesus, but also we have, of course, now the scriptures, we proclaim him. But I just want to look at this word fullness for a moment. The word of God in all its fullness is a very deep, rich uh, Greek word. Um, the full word of God. Have you ever come across a church that says we are the full gospel church? Yeah. The full gospel church? Well, there are people who call themselves the full gospel church. And uh, I, I wonder, uh, you know, what they have that they think is the full gospel that other people don't have. Um, But every church has got something that it projects. I mean, the the Pentecostals will say, we emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit, so we are the full gospel. And uh, the evangelicals might say, we emphasize the word of God, so we are the, uh, you know, and other churches might talk, Baptists say, "We, we, we have water baptism. Whatever it is, we preach the full gospel. Actually, the full gospel is quite simply him. And I don't mean him with a Y. What hymns we sing you know do we sing full gospel hymns or do we sing those flippy flippy floppy choruses um, actually no we proclaim him Jesus Christ that is the full gospel to present Jesus in all his fullness who he is and what he's done that is the full gospel and that's what Paul is uh preaching okay so let's let's just take that on a bit further we present him and what does it mean by presenting him he says we i'm to proclaim a mystery christ in you the hope of glory it's a very little phrase isn't it but it's it's got so much in it christ in you this is a mystery because you know for centuries People have been trying to understand God, and he was a mystery, and he appeared in a cloud in the desert, and Moses, you know, and, uh, and all of the, the stories of the Old Testament. The, there's a bit of a mystery about God, and, and the incense and things that they burnt in the temple, this mystery about God. And now Paul says, I proclaim the mystery. The mystery has been revealed in Jesus Christ, in a person, not in a set of doctrines, not in a, any precepts or magic formula, but in a person in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been revealed. And not only that, he says, that, that this is Christ in you. We don't, we're not just like a people who have a, a guru that we follow. And we, we read his teachings and we, we say, oh yes, I'm going to follow this ritual because our guru tells me to do this. He says Christ is in you. That is an incredible mystery, isn't it? how a human being who is God, who died and rose again, can live in us. I mean, you you can't really try to even imagine that, can you? But that is the truth of the Gospel. Christ in you. And because Christ is in you, it talks about personal experience. We can personally experience Christ in us. This is the hope of glory. A lot of the stuff which... um, We've been thinking about uh, on our conference this week um, that the main lecturer was a lady called Anne Morrissey. She was a, a sociologist. Very academic kind of uh, stuff that she'd been doing. But the, the great thing was she came from Bootle. And, and although she's very academic, she talked like that. And, and uh, she brought it down to earth. And um, what she was talking about was the fact how do we bring hope... <laughs> to a world that actually has this vision of a dystopian future. You know, most of the, um, a lot of the films and dramas that are on the television are all about how the future's going to get worse and worse. And, and all over the world, there are boys and girls sitting in their bedrooms with these little things, beep, 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 beep. And on their screens are battles, and the world is is collapsing around them. And they've got to save it. Yeah? That's what a lot, Is that right? I mean, I don't know much about computer games, but is it not you've actually got to shoot down the baddies and so the goodies will win? Is that right? Is that, in essence? So th- this whole idea that the future is really dystopian and actually we've somehow got to save it. Actually, Christ cuts right through that. Paul cuts right through that. The, the future without Christ is indeed bleak. But we haven't got to save the world. Christ has already done it. And therefore... We are part of his process, but it's actually Christ that has won. Uh, So the hope for the world, does it come from some technology? Does it come from a certain uh, American presidents, and not just the current one have said, if we can can colonize Mars, we'll have a hope, because we'll be able to have a new planet. What rot? What, what, what fundamental lack of understanding of the human condition that if somehow we select a group of people who, who will send out to Mars, that everything will be wonderful on that. That's a kind of as bad as Adolf Hitler, who said, if I, if I cut out all the people that don't fit into my plan, then I'll have a perfect world. But doesn't he not remember that every human being is a sinner? And therefore, if, even if you send a lot to Mars, they're going to start all over again, arguing and fighting, you know... Do people not learn from history? I hated history, but I've learned that much. (sighs) What is the hope for the universe? The hope is Jesus Christ. And not just a a theory, not just um, something which uh, is, you know, a good doctrine to kind of adhere to, but the hope of glory, which is Christ in you. Something in me, which means that whatever my situation, however hopeless... So when I speak to my friend David... Uh, on Tuesday, he's, he's lost his dear wife. He's, she's just a lovely person. She was a, one of our deacons, and she was wonderful. What is the hope? The hope is Christ in you. The hope is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul knows that right in the beginning of the letter. He prays for them, and he says, We pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and the love for you have all the saints. The faith and the love that spring from the hope that is in you. And that hope is Jesus Christ. This is a mystery of the Trinity. Just think about this. The Father God sent Jesus down to earth himself to be a human being, God on earth. We killed him. But then he raised, God raised him from the dead. And then he was exalted, and then he was ascended to heaven to go back to be with God the Father. And then he sent the Holy Spirit down to earth so that we can have Christ in us. That is amazing. So the Trinity is actually God the Father who sends the Son and by the Spirit dwells in us. So we are in him and he is in us. There we are. Simple. The Trinity in one sentence. Yeah? But but that's, that is the essence of it. God is uh, Christ, God, is, is in the heart of human beings because Christ is, is in us and that is our hope of glory. Okay, so Paul's commission is to proclaim, to preach, to teach, to admonish, to serve Christ and the church. Now one of the things I'm doing, I love doing most in ministry is answering children's questions. So the last two weeks have been brilliant, absolutely superb. Um... If anyone's got an answer to this one, what was God doing before he created the world? Actually, I found the answer in the scripture. He was loving Jesus. Right? Jesus said, you love me before the creation of the world. Isn't that fantastic? So anyway, uh, he was in relationship even before he created anything, but he wanted you to be in relationship with. So, when I was uh, doing this with, with a, a year um, six class in, in, in West Town Lane Academy in Bristol, um, they always interviewed me every year, which was great fun. And they asked these really difficult questions. And one of these 11-year-olds says, what is your goal? What is your goal? I wonder if I were to throw that question to you. What is your goal in life? Well, I actually said, my goal is that people come to know Jesus and use their gifts in serving him. Well, it's a goal. Paul had a goal. And here is Paul's goal. To present everyone perfect in Christ. What a goal! My goal is to present everyone perfect in Christ. You see, Paul was not just about converting people. Like, you know, the Muslims want to convert people to their religion and then get them to... uh, That's not what Christianity is about. It's about discipleship. It's about that when we come to know him, that we grow, and we grow to maturity. In other words, perfection. This word telios means perfection, completion, maturity, that kind of thing. Um, and that is going to be a struggle. Has anyone reached perfection yet? No. And, um, you know, in every church I've been in, there's always been at least one really difficult person. Sorry, someone with a guilty conscience, and you know how on earth can I present that person perfect in Christ? That's totally impossible. And then I look in the mirror in the morning and think, oh yes, I know. He's been in all of them. Yeah, uh, it me. I mean, to present me perfect in Christ—that is, that is the hardest thing. Don't forget you lot. I mean, you lot are a snip compared to me. But that's actually Paul's goal: is to present everyone, including himself perfect in Christ. And that's a struggle. That is a journey. And the journey will only actually end when we finally meet Christ face to face. So for all of this life, I'm going to struggle. Are you? Um, Now, you may have heard this story before. It's about um, a little boy who was out doing a bit of nature study and he saw a chrysalis from a butterfly and you saw this chrysalis begin to break open perhaps we can have a look at this for, for in the spring as the spring comes and as the chrysalis the, the, it didn't seem to be getting on very well so he decided he'd give it a helping hand and he kind of just teased the, uh, the chrysalis apart a bit and, uh, to help this butterfly out do you know what happened when it finally came out its wings were all floppy and it couldn't fly Do you know why? Because it had to struggle to get out of the chrysalis in order to pump the juices through its wings, in order to stretch out its wings so it could fly. So without struggle, there is no Christian life, there is no growth, and there is no no aim of perfection. You see, so Paul expects people to receive not only a message about Jesus, but a ministry. Each one of you here has a ministry in Christ, whatever it is. It may not be preaching, it may be something completely different, but it's a ministry which we have to exercise in order to grow in Christ. And that's why he says in verse 28, we admonish and teach everyone. But then in chapter 3 that we'll come to later, he says, you must teach and admonish, admonish one another. So we all, you can teach me, and I can teach you. That's, that's part of being the body of Christ. Is that an impossible task, to reach perfection? Well, Paul knows, actually, that he couldn't do it on his own. So in verse 29, he says, that For this reason I labor, struggling with all his energy, which powerfully works in me. That's how he can do it. He, he knows that it's not his strength and his energy that actually achieves this task, but it's the energy of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now I said earlier, didn't I, that um, one of the things I have struggled with is um, computers. I mean, I like computers, and when they do what I want them to do, they're brilliant. And I've got a new one I bought in December which is brilliant. It's much faster and you know, it comes up quickly. You don't have to wait half an hour for it to... And, and it processes photographs very quickly. It's wonderful. But there's a couple of things that it couldn't do. I wanted to get my LPs onto CDs. So I needed to get the sound into the computer in order to convert it to a CD. And my friend Steve over there helped me. He He's wonderful. So, Steve, uh, thank you. Uh, I can now get my, my lovely LP collection into CDs. That is brilliant. But the other thing that I couldn't do, I could not get my scanner to work with it. The printer part of it worked, but I could not scan, which is really helpful because I actually, when I send the music round every week, I, I, I scan it and then I send it round to Nima. It's an important tool, and it would not work. And I tried installing it, and I went onto the website, and I, I was struggling and frustrated because I couldn't use this tool. And so I had one final go at it on Thursday. And um, I went onto his website and I, I tried to find Epson scan, Epson scan file, download. Couldn't find it anywhere. And then I noticed on that page a little button on the right, and it said, chat. I've been struggling since December. So at... and 41 seconds I've got thank you for connecting to Epson's chat service Um, at 2.13 and 41 seconds I've got connected with Samuel Um, at 2.14 and 21 seconds Samuel says hi Laurie one moment please at 2.16 and 26 seconds here is the scanner driver you're looking for click this link Is there anything else I can help you with? And I wrote, thanks, I've installed it now, we'll try restarting my computer. And I restarted my computer, and it worked! (laughs) That is two minutes! Samuel, I wrote back to him, actually I got another guy called Richard, and said, please can you tell Samuel that he is a hero, uh, and God bless him, um, because he has helped me. uh, Isn't it amazing? Now if I'd realised that a little chat button was there, I could have done this in December. You know? If we'd realised that Christ is in us, actually, we we don't faff around trying to get help from all over over the place. Actually, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that's why Paul prays that we will be encouraged in heart, united in love, know the full riches of complete understanding. That's what you're praying for, Pete. Uh, And most of all, to know Christ. So, my question is do you know Christ? And if you do, do you realize that he is in you and that he is the hope of glory?